0: I have the privilege of sharing God's word this morning as we, uh, as we prepare to look at Psalm 84. And um, I don't know about you all, but I've been really enjoying our series through the psalms uh, this summer. We did it. It's a lot of s- s- series through the psalms in the summer. But we did a, we did a, a series a few years ago uh, of different psalms. And I, I'm just struck by the diversity in the psalms. Right, because we read through these psalms and there's like, uh, we've gone through psalms of lament, that are mourning and crying out and sorrow to God, and, and then psalms of uh, thanksgiving to psalms of, of wisdom, giving instruction for, for life and living, uh, and then psalms of, of praise, psalms of praise, simply to praise God with joy, with exaltation. That's our, our psalm this morning. It's a psalm of Praise. Uh, psalm 84 is, is one that I was familiar with. Uh, many of you, as you glance over, might be familiar with it as well, or some lines in there. And um, I spent time with it this summer after I got the text, um, kind of meditating on it. And uh, I have to say, it's growing to be one of my favorite Psalms. Um, it's, it's just a beautiful Psalm, it's so uh, full of, of richness and depth. Um, it's a, a psalm to meditate on. I say meditate um, specifically. God's word tells us to meditate on the word. It tells us to stop, to pause, to reflect, to meditate on the things that God has told us. I think often we, we move really fast, right? We, we're in a busy life, in a busy world, and we see our verse of the day, and we're like, great, okay, got it, moving on. Not that it's a bad thing to see it, but God wants us to stop and meditate on the words that he's given us. So this morning, we're going to spend some time in Psalm 84. The great 19th century preacher and theologian, Charles Spurgeon, he called Psalm 84 the pearl of Psalms. This is what he had to say about it. He said, this sacred ode is one of the choicest of the collection. It has a mild radiance about it, entitling it to be called the Pearl of Psalms. If the 23rd be the most popular, the 103rd the most joyful, the 119th the most deeply experimental, the 51st the most plaintive, this is one of the most sweet of the Psalms of Peace. Hmm. Well, let's open our Bibles right to the middle here to Psalm 84. And I will read for us this morning. It begins, To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools." They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. God, knowing that you are a good God and a perfect God. Lord, and we thank you for your scripture. For your word that you've given us so that we can know more about you, so that we can see your work, so that we can see the praise of people before us. Father God, we thank you that we have this opportunity to read, to study. Lord, I ask this morning for each one of us that you allow the Holy Spirit to work, to work in this room, to work in, in us. God, to give us insight to give us wisdom, to think of things about this psalm maybe we've never thought before, to apply something to our lives that we need to apply right now. God, these are your words, and they are so good because they're true. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray for this time that we have right now and all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, as we begin our psalm, we should start where you always start when you study the Bible, which is beginning with our context and our author. It's a good place to start. You want to know where you're at, who's talking, what's going on here, right? Psalm 84 gives us a little hint. Uh, Right above verse 1, it says, To the choir master, according to the gitteth a psalm of the sons of Korah. So we learn a few things. Uh, from To the choir master means that this is a a poem, something meant to be sung. It's going to the choir master. According to the gitteth, we don't know exactly what that is. It might be a a form of music, like a genre. could be an instrument itself. Um, And then a psalm of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah. This psalm begins uh, the third book of psalms. So if you read all of the psalms, they're actually categorized into five different books, and this begins book three. And you'll see, uh, as the sons of Korah, they're a shift from what we've seen earlier. If you ever do like a read through the Psalms and you, you read, you'll notice Psalm after Psalm by Asaph, mostly Psalms of lament. And then you get to this Psalm, book three, and suddenly there's a shift. There's a shift into a trusting in God, a praising of God. And that's where we're at this morning. We see in this Psalm a journey. We're going to follow the journey of a pilgrim as they strive to be in the house of the Lord, in the presence of God. And we're going to follow that journey. Uh, but as we do it, I want us to start. Let's go ahead and reread our, our first four verses here and talk about them. Verse 1 How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. As I, uh, as I studied this psalm, Psalm 84 has all of these really beautiful contrasts. And you see some from first reading, but as you dig deeper and deeper, you'll see incredible contrasts. Two things, right? seemingly contradictory, but placed right next to each other. And the first verse is one of those. It says, how lovely, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. How lovely. It's a beautiful picture. It's almost an intimate picture here. The dwelling place of God that the psalmist is standing next to. I don't know about you, but when I leave my house in the morning, um, I don't usually like open the door, kind of prop it up, leave a big sign that's like, anyone welcome, come check it out while I'm gone. Like, you know, like just anybody can go in my house, feel free. No, I close the door because I haven't invited those people in. And yet here, we have the psalmist invited, welcomed, welcomed, to the courts of the Lord. There's, a, there's an intimacy here that's beautiful. In fact, it's not just a lovely place in the aesthetic sense, right? Because you might think, oh, well, you know, I got some nice, nice shiny coat of paint on there and some, some new flowers underneath. It is lovely. It is beautifully aesthetic. We'll talk about the temple in a little bit and the, the majesty of the temple, but it's more than that here. See, the loveliness is a picture of the dwelling place of God's, the beloved nature of it, right? It's a place you want to be. One commentator writes, the psalmist's response to the presence of God, he loves to be where God is. So the dwelling place of God is a beloved place. He wants to be there. And I, I promised contrast. Here's our contrast. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. O Lord of hosts. I put on your study sheet, um, O Lord of hosts is a powerful title. It's a powerful title for God, meaning Yahweh of armies. Right, if I wouldn't hurt everyone's ears, I feel like it's a title that you, know, you can't say meekly. you kind of to have to yell it. It's like Yahweh of armies. This is, like, this is a title here. It's all the might and force of God, God's power and his majesty. And think the Old Testament, right? This is the God that's conquered nations and defeated enemies with insurmountable odds. Like, this is God with some might behind him, the powerful God. And yet, contrasted to this beautiful, intimate picture of the belovedness, the dwelling place of God. This sets the tone for our whole psalm. It's a place that you want to be because it's great and mighty and powerful, but it's it's beautiful. It's beloved. There's a nearness. I was thinking of an analogy. Okay, close your eyes. Take yourself back. Let's go back to like elementary school, right? You're on the playground. One of your friends, and you know, there's some competition going because you know it's elementary school. got to know who's who's faster and who's better at this and uh, if you're like me and probably most of the boys uh you know who can beat up who right you got to know kind of who can take who but you're you're not going to do anything about it and eventually you'll go back and forth and you'll probably get to the age-old saying well 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 my dad could beat up your dad right okay how much water does this hold it's not like your dads are gonna come down and like fight it out on the playground behind you. Like, see, he took him. No, it's just something you say. Right? Oh, my dad could take your dad. Let's take this one step further. Okay. Now picture that your dad. We'll say your dad is a, a lineman for the Seahawks. Maybe six foot eight, three hundred pounds, solid muscle. Right. All of a sudden, the, uh, the my dad can beat up your dad. Okay, now it holds a little more weight, right? You see your d- the dad coming down, you're like, oh man, he probably could beat up everybody else's dad. But to you, your dad isn't scary. Well, he might be a little bit. He probably should be a little bit. There should be some healthy fear if your father is, well, if any father, but if your father is six foot eight and, you know, 300 pounds of muscle, right? There's a fear because he's big and strong and mighty, but if you're his son, right, then there's not fear. It's your father. You get to run home and jump up into his arms and, and there's a, a love and an embrace and a nearness. But a nearness of someone who's powerful and mighty. Right? This is our picture. We have this God that the psalmist is referring to that's big and Yahweh of armies and yet He wants to be near to him because he's beloved. He's beloved. The psalmist longs for the presence of God. How much does he long for the presence of God? Well, verse two tells us, he says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy, for joy to the living God. If you've been paying attention this summer, this should remind you of something, which is a few few weeks back uh, when we went through Psalm 42 and 43. Psalm 42 begins, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And it's not a coincidence that both of these psalms were actually written by the sons of Korah. So we see these themes, right, of a longing for God, a desire to be in the presence of God. And it's not just a physical longing or an emotional longing, it's all of it, right? It's all of it. My soul, my heart, and my flesh. This is a longing that's not just physical, but a deep longing in their soul as well. A longing that's not just physical, but a deep longing in their soul. And not with anguish, right? Not with pain, And we have seen that. That's okay. It's okay to long to God with pain. We see it in these Psalms of Lamentation, right? But this is not that. It's a longing with joy. It's excitement. I get to go home to dad. It's awesome. I'm excited. A joy. My heart and flesh sing for joy. To who? To the living God. To the living God. We see this title a lot, don't we? The living God. you ever thought, like, why, why do we talk about God as the living God? As far as the attributes or the adjectives we can describe God with, we put living God in front of it. And the reason here is twofold. The first reason is to contrast the gods that are alive and dead, right? So you have maybe uh, all these different nations and tribes around with gods that are made of idols. They're stone and they're wood and, and they're dead. They're not alive, but the God of Israel, he's alive. But I'll take it a step further, because it's more than that. It's not just here that God is alive, it's that God gives life. That God gives life. You see the difference? Alive, but he gives life. God breathed life into the world. God is not just alive, he is the source of all life. That's significant. God is the source of all life. And here, the source of the psalmist's joy. Psalm 36, 9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And it's an enviable position, wouldn't you say? Being near a God who gives life, who is the source of life, who is the source of joy. So the question becomes, who, who's allowed to be there? Every, everybody wants to be there, right? Don't we all? Wouldn't you want to be in the presence of a life giving God? So, who can be there? Well, we keep going. Verse 3 Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. So, who can be there? The sparrow and the swallow. I just swallowed. No pun intended there. The sparrow and the swallow. What kind of birds are sparrows, swallows? Big birds, mighty birds, great eagles, and owls? No. The sparrow. The little sparrow. The sparrow is often used as a bird of, of small significance in the Bible. Right? Small significance. And the swallow. The swallow is often pictured as a bird that it's restless, as it has a restlessness, it flits around. So who is allowed to dwell near the altar of the Lord? The small, the insignificant, the restless. See, we see the contrast again. This is who's right next to God, to the altar of God, to the dwelling place of God, and physically next to, because we're talking about the temple, right? So the sparrows and the swallows are probably actually nesting somewhere in outside of the temple, the sparrows and the swallows. It's a beautiful picture, right? It's a beautiful picture. I think often uh, we feel inadequate sometimes when we think about how good God is. God is perfect. God is great. He's holy. It's like, oh, I can't, I can't be in the presence of this holy God. He's too good. He's too perfect. But that's not what the Bible says, right? Through Christ, Through Christ, we have access to this God. And God didn't say, okay, you know what? You guys uh, kind of clean up your act a little bit and like do a few things for me. And, uh, and then once we get to that place, like then you can be part of my family and then I'll start loving you. No, that's not what he says. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? While we're still sinners. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. Even the sparrow, even the swallow, have a place near the altar. Then we go to verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Hmm. Kind of sums up our whole section. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. You're blessed to dwell in the house of of God, ever singing God's praise, longing for the presence of God, the joy to be found in the dwelling place of God, the pilgrim on his journey to the temple to find this. Now, we should stop for a minute before we go on and uh, give some background here, some cultural, historical background. We need to know what's going on because I said it's a pilgrim, right? It's a pilgrim on a journey. So where is his journey to? Because this is, this is a physical journey, right? So we have a pilgrim here, and he's on his way to Jerusalem, right? To Zion. He's on his way to the temple, the actual temple. Remember Old Testament, uh, the Israelites traveling around, they had the tabernacle, and it was the, the dwelling place of God among them, and it moved with them. And then after David, Solomon says, okay, I'm going to build this temple, it's going to be epic, it's going to be amazing. Nobody's going to have ever seen anything like this. We're going to pull in cedars from all over, and we're, we're, going, to, we're going to bring gold and silver and the finest things, and we're going to put, build a place worthy to be the dwelling place of God. Right? So we, we have this physical temple that's the dwelling place of God, and that's what the psalmist is on a journey to see, which makes us ask the question, if he's on a journey to see the temple, what's, what's the context here for us? Because that temple's not there anymore, right? And if you've been lucky enough to go to Israel and go to Jerusalem and you've seen the ruins of the temple, that's not even this temple. That's, a, that's another temple rebuilt. So the temple's gone. So what about us? We, can we make this journey to the temple? Where do we go for the dwelling place of God? In the time of Solomon, after he finishes all his work, his years on this temple, every detail, here's what he says. He gives a prayer. He gives a prayer to the nation as a dedication in Second Chronicles. I'm going to read a portion of it. He says, But will God indeed dwell with man on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house I've built this temple. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O oh Lord, my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place and listen from your heaven your dwelling and from, and when you hear forgive. So what house, what temple can contain God? Isaiah 66, one and two says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me? And where would my resting place be? My hand made all these things. And so they all came into being. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive, in spirit, and trembles at my word. So where can contain God? Where can God dwell? Well, no house, no temple, no church can contain God. The dwelling place of God is not limited to a building. The dwelling place of God is not limited to a building because nowhere can contain God. And yet, God, in his mercy, in his faithfulness, in his abundance, chooses to dwell with his people. He chooses to dwell in the temple, he chooses to come near to his people for forgiveness the love that he has for them. Do you see that? It's beautiful. Nothing can contain him, and yet he desires it for his love for us. And then what about us? We can't go to the original temple where God said he would dwell. So where does he dwell now? Well, John 2.19, Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, "It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in 3 days?" But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Matthew 12:6 Jesus says, "I tell you that something greater than the temple is here." Greater than the temple. In that time, what was greater than the temple? Nothing. Nothing was greater than the temple. The temple was it. This is the pinnacle. This is the best that we can do. This is the temple. And Jesus says, I tell you something greater than that's here. Meaning himself. And then even in John chapter four, you know, the story of the, the woman at the well, right? The Samaritan woman. And, and Jesus meets with her and is talking to her. And, and then he, he kind of catches her off guard and she's all flustered. So she tries to distract him. And she says, well, uh, uh, what about worship? Where are we supposed to worship? Are we supposed to worship here like our ancestors, on this mountain, or over in Jerusalem? What's the best place? And Jesus says, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And later, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. See, as we long for the presence of God, the courts of the Lord, the way the psalmist longs, we no longer long for just a physical place, right? But for the person and the work of Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus paid a sacrifice for our sins. He's fulfilled the role of the temple, right? You come to the temple for for cleansing, for forgiveness, but we find that now in Christ, And more than that, as we read in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So now the presence of God can even indwell in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Longing for the presence of God in our lives. And it changes our lives. It should change our lives. Let's keep reading uh, the story of our pilgrim here on the journey. Verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So on the journey, they go through a place called the Valley of Baca, And this valley is sometimes translated as the, the Valley of Weeping or the Valley of Tears. Right? It's not a good place. It's not a pleasant place to be. And yet, what do we read about the valley? It says, as they go through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. So we have a desert, dry and arid place that then is covered with springs. It has life. It has water. It has sustenance. I um, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to go out to the desert somewhere, maybe in the Southwest. Um, Jess and I, we really love traveling and camping out in the desert. I don't know. It's just, it's open and it's wide. And uh, we love to to see the desert at night. You can see the stars so beautifully because there's nothing around. And... and um, the desert is one of those places that um, it feels so dry and so dusty. You're like, there could be nothing here. There could be no life here. And uh, we actually were going to take a road trip a few weeks ago down to, to Utah and to Nevada to kind of do a stargazing tour down there. And um, So we're, we're planning this trip, and um, we're like, two days before we're going to leave, and we check the weather, and Utah is like, rains and floods and thunderstorms and crazy stuff. And we're like, hmm, camping and thunderstorms and rain. No, okay. What are we going to do? We have a trip planned. So we kind of rerouted and we're like, okay, you know what? We, we've wanted to go to California and see some stuff. Let's go camp in California. And we'll go down to Death Valley because that, that area is still kind of clear. And uh, you know what? It'll be a great trip. We'll just reroute here, replan. So we start driving and we're about to the California border. And we were both like, there's something, we just, we shouldn't do this trip. It just doesn't feel like we had to redo it and change it. And I don't know why, but I think that we should just kind of call it. And so we stayed, we went to the Redwoods, it was beautiful. And then we came back and kind of cut our trip way short. And and, um, a few days later, I was looking up the weather and uh, looking up the little news articles on there and come to find out that Death Valley was completely flooded. And not just like a little flood, a flood that they said is a, a once-in-a-thousand-year event. The valley got 75 to 80% of its annual rainfall in three hours. So needless to say, the, uh, the dry, dusty desert was now covered with water. And the highways were covered with water. And the cars that were on the highways were covered with water. And uh, just a, a crazy thing where we look back and just say, Thank you, Lord, for doing something and kind of turning us away from that and allowing us to avoid some craziness. Because we found out the day we would have been camping there was literally the same day that all the rain came. So we would have been caught right in the middle of it all. Over a thousand people were stranded in the valley. And sometimes God does that. He kind of reaches down and he redirects and he turns you away. And you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your graciousness. But sometimes he doesn't. Right? Sometimes he turns you away from the valley. And other times he lets you walk through it. And he knows it's going to be the valley of Baca. He knows it's going to have weeping and suffering And yet, in this valley, the valley is transformed, right? It's transformed. Even in a place of dryness and weeping and tears, there's joy. There's joy found in the presence of God. Because the presence of God transforms dryness into springs. And remember that this isn't stuff that we do because the psalmist here it says as they go through the valley of Baca they make it a place of springs you're like oh wow look what they did they turned the dry desert into a place of springs but no it says blessed are those whose strength is where in you remember god is the source god is the one doing the transformation god is the one that changes the valley from dry to life through us but it's God's power. It's God's strength. He's the living God, the source. We need to search for true strength, not in ourselves, but in God alone. We need to search for true strength, not in ourselves, but God alone. There's a really interesting thing that happens in some of these deserts. Um, flooding in the desert is actually a, a fairly common thing because the rain comes and it has nowhere to go the desert's dry it won't drain and so floods happen occasionally um, but sometimes there are there are really big floods like this and when there are really big floods there's a an event that can occur it's very rare it's called a super bloom how cool is that a super bloom And a super bloom happens when there's so much water and so much rain and so much flooding. It finally seeps through. And in the spring, in the desert, where it should be dry and hot and nothing, wildflowers come out. It's beautiful. I have a few pictures here to illustrate. Um, This is a picture of Death Valley. And uh, I did not take this picture. But this is a picture of Death Valley. And you can see it's so dried. It's cracked and crumbling This is the hottest recorded temperature in the world is in Death Valley. But then when the rain comes, it can be filled with water. Isn't that beautiful? That's a completely dry desert that became a 10-mile lake because of flooding. 10-mile lake. And then after the flooding goes away in the spring, it can turn into this. What a beautiful thing that is. That a valley that has nothing, no life, heat, dryness, can become so beautiful. As Christians, this is part of our call. It's part of our call to transform the world around us. Not by our own strength, but by the strength that we find in God. Because notice, it doesn't say they go from strength to weakness. In the text, it says they go from strength to strength. They're being fed by something, by the source of God. And they have so much joy in this journey that it's literally overflowing where the dry valley becomes beautiful with life. It's an amazing thing. And God promises in the journey, He promises even through the valley of tears that He's faithful. I think that's one of the most comforting things that we read in God's word is that God is faithful to us. Psalm 139 says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Many people in the Bible have tried to flee from the presence of God. It didn't go very well for them. be with us. We continue with our journey of the pilgrim through the valley. We get to verse 8. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. It's probably a familiar verse to many of you. And you know what it's doing here? He's trying to give us some perspective. He's like, you know how good it is to be with God? Do you know how high on my priority list it is to dwell in God's presence? That a day here is better than a thousand elsewhere. He's saying, that's how good, that's how good it is. And then it says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God and dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, a doorkeeper uh, at the temple Right? It could be a position like the Levites would hold of an honorable position. But the psalmist here is not referring to that kind. He's talking about just being outside the courts. Right? Maybe coming for uh, one of the feasts. He's on this pilgrimage. Maybe he's coming to make sacrifices. So think about, say, the Middle East in the summer, standing in a big long line with a bunch of people. And it's noisy and it's hot. and It's unpleasant like, I would rather be there. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Some commentators even go as far to say as he could be talking about somebody begging. Literally begging on the steps of the temple. Not an uncommon thing. Right? A beggar sitting at the door to the temple. He's like, it's better to be here than it is to dwell in a tent, in a shelter, in the shade, with a home. It's better. It's better even to be a beggar on the steps of the temple in the presence of God. That's how good God is. That's how good he is. Than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So you kind of have to ask the question, why? Right? Why? What do you mean? Like, the psalmist is going through crazy stuff. Why does he want to make this really hard pilgrimage? Why does he want to go through the valley of tears? Why does he want to be a beggar on the steps of the temple? What could be worth that? And he tells us in verse 11. He says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. For the Lord God is a sun. A sun. The source of light. The source of life. Life. We're in a culture that's more agrarian. You rely on the sun. The sun is your source. We're in a culture without electricity. When the night falls, there's not much you can do. You need the sun. God is the sun and shield. He's a sun and a shield. A shield. We're in also a culture where armies invade. You don't really know how long your, your place is going to be safe, your house, your crop, anything. right? Protection is really important. And God here is the shield of the people. He's their protector. Remember, he's big. He's, he's the Yahweh of armies. He can protect. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly no good thing does he withhold. Now, this doesn't mean that God gives you everything you want. Um, Because uh, I don't know about you guys, but I know myself. And uh, even though I think that when I have everything I want, my life would be wonderful. Often we don't want the things that we should want, right? Think about a a little three-year-old that thinks they know the best for them. And if you gave them everything that they wanted, it probably would not be great for them probably a lot of sugar, a lot of craziness. Right? We don't always know what, what's best for us. And God doesn't say, all right, I'll give you anything you want. You can have it all. He says, no, no. He says, no good thing will I withhold from you. He says, I'll, I'll sustain you. I'll give you things even if they're hard. But through them, I'm going to bring goodness out of it. Through the challenge I'm going to bring redemption through it. I'm going to not withhold any good thing from you. For those who walk uprightly, not perfectly, not without sin, but those who pursue him, those who follow God, who long for God, right? They're following after God, walking uprightly. God gives us all that we need God will provide for us. Um, he's proved this. He's actually already provided for us. Do you know that? Romans eight thirty one through 32 says, what shall we say to these things if God is for us who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him, with Christ freely give us all things? God already gave us good things that we need. He gave us the chance to follow him, to be forgiven from sin, to have joy that comes from his source of joy, and to walk for eternity with him. No good things does he withhold. Verse 12 O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. O Yahweh of armies, I am blessed when I trust in you, when I trust in you. The Psalm is beautiful. It focuses on this, this presence of God, right? The fullness of joy, the pilgrimage to Zion. And we get part of this now. God's with us, right? It it says God's with us in the valley. He's with us us wherever we go. And yet the the completion of that will be in heaven. The completion of that will be in heaven eternity God gives us life he gives us strength he allows us to turn dry valleys into springs ah oh, it's good imagery it's something for us to think about do you do that do i do that do you walk in such a way that there's so much joy that it's overflowing from you, that when you go to a place of weeping, you turn it into a place of springs because it's a lot easier to go the other way. It's a lot easier when everyone else is complaining to start complaining yourself. It's a lot easier to fall and f- be following what's around you. But God says, through my strength, I'm gonna enable you to be such a presence, so overflowing with this longing for me and this joy that I have, that you're literally going to change people around you. God sends us into the world not to just be consumed by it. It doesn't say Jesus was overcome by the world. It says he overcame it. So that's what we do. We go out and we are a presence for God in the world. We should be transforming people around us, not by our own strength, not the stuff that we can do, but through the power of God it's an amazing thing and I think that it's interesting that in the hardest valley is where the most transformation happens in the psalm there's something to be said for that it's hard but we get an opportunity to show God's love and joy in a way that the world doesn't understand when we're in a hard place The pilgrim here makes his journey throughout, and it's because of God that he can complete his journey. Hebrews tells us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So as we leave, as we conclude for today, just be thinking about these things. Do you long for the presence of God and the joy that that brings? And not just like a little bit, but as the psalmist with his soul and his heart and his flesh, everything longing for God. Do you know that there's true joy to be found in God and nothing else? Nothing else. There's little pieces of it that we can find in the world that give us satisfaction, but they don't give us fully satisfying joy that only comes from Christ. Did you know that... To come to Jesus, you really don't have to have it all together. You don't have to wait till you're like, okay, now I'm this good. Now I can call myself a Christian and follow God. Now remember, while we're sinners, God out of his love, his unconditional love for us, unconditional, no condition, nothing we had to do, he loves us. The lowly, the restless, the insignificant. Find a dwelling place near the almighty God. Finding strength in the source of strength. As you leave today, uh, I just hope you take that with you. And uh, like I mentioned in the beginning, spend time, spend time meditating on these psalms. Don't just read them and glance through and see it on Sunday, but stop, take a moment. You have a relationship with the creator of the universe. And he gives us his word. Meditate on it. Posture yourself as one who longs for the presence of God. This is a beautiful psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. It truly is a pearl of the psalms. The most sweet of the psalms of peace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we... We know that you are a good and perfect father, that you're a good and perfect God, that you're great and you're mighty and you're powerful. And yet you invite us and welcome us into this relationship with you. God, so close of a relationship that your word says we can, we can call you dad. And yet you're, you're big and powerful and mighty. God, I pray that we long for your presence, that we know that you are full of, of joy, true joy, overflowing joy. Father, I ask that you give us strength, that you give us strength in difficult times as we walk through valleys. And, um, and Lord, when we're, when we're not in a difficult time and life is going well, that we remember you are the cause. You are the giver of all good things. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Without your word, Father, our instruction would be so hard to find, and yet you give us such a good book of instruction. Lord, you are a great and perfect God. And we thank you that we can come to you and cleanse in the blood of Jesus. Lord, and dwell with you forever in heaven. God, we thank you for this morning, for this time. I pray, pray that we remember this as we leave, as we go out, that it doesn't fade from our memory quickly. God, allow us to meditate We pray all of these things for this morning and the rest of our day. In Jesus' name, amen.